So you should have, I think except for the one who just walked in, everybody should have the exams. Josh? <laughs> hey, that's okay. I saw you coming, so I didn't draw the late line until you got here. I was nice. Josh, here's the homework for you, too. Okay. All right. So, exam is bad. average was about 39, as I said, was pretty good. Now, that did count that I gave you extra four points on the exam. So there were four extra points. So if you'd done perfect, you could have gotten a, so really it's 39 out of 54, but I only graded out of 50, so you got four bonus points there. But that's pretty, so that's pretty, you did it pretty good. Overall, the grades are pretty good on it. So if there were questions specifically on it, you're welcome to come by office hours or catch me before after class. If you want clarification on any question that you're not sure on, I'll be happy to go over them with you. Homework two is due the 19th. So again, I extended that a couple days, so it's not due until the 19th. So it's not due today, no matter what it says on the top. So you still have till Monday to turn it in. Quiz 2 is up and will be up through Tuesday. So I extended that a couple days again as well for you. For this class, it's chapters 2 and 3. And then your first article I did not extend, that is due next Friday. So if there are questions, if you're not sure on exactly what you need to do on it, then, you know, ask me. I'll be happy to go over it with you. Look at the review sheet I gave you. If you have a question on an article that you're selecting and you're not sure, because again, I said people who like to find, if you find them from the library and you're going to Astronomy Magazine, you're usually pretty safe, or Sky and Telescope. You know, as long as you're not picking a short little news clip that's like one column worth of the article, it should be three, four, five pages. Nice thing with astronomy articles is they got lots of pictures. So even when it's five pages worth, it's not a lot of text. Usually they got a lot of pictures in them. If you're getting something online, I do recommend showing it to me first because a lot of them are just a news, a news article that, you know, published on Yahoo or whoever the, from the AP that's just, you know, a brief news summary. That's not what I'm looking for. You'll still get, you'll get credit for it. You won't lose all credit, but you will lose some points. So if you're unsure on it, you know, Especially the first one, let me look at it first because I'll tell you right away. And preferably don't you know, email it to me Thursday night. It might be kind of late to get it. Well, you can still have Friday because you can, you can email those like you do the homework. So if you want to attach that to an email and send it to me as long as I get it by that Friday. So you could even ask me questions if you want to spend all day Friday working on it. But hopefully you find the article sooner and look at that and then let me know if there's a question on it. If you're unsure, I'll be more than happy to tell you, you know, go ahead and use it. The article's fine. Or, you know, you really need to find something else. So I'm not trying to surprise you on it and say, oh, you picked the wrong article. Zero. No. I try not to do that. Especially not on Fridays when you're stuck with me for two hours. So, Okay. Questions. So that's there. Oh, um, then iTunes U quiz. Number one coming up. 19th of September through the 25th. So it'll be available on Monday. Now that's based on the podcast. So it's based on our pictures of the day that we do. But it can include any picture from August through September. This is online, so you are, you are at home. You, know, you have access to the pictures. But I'm not going to test you, you know, like I did on this one. I asked you the picture we saw two days ago. I try to do easier things on a test here. I might be asking you something about the picture. might be something I told you about the picture. So you may want to, if you haven't already subscribed to those podcasts, you may want to look at them. You can reference them during the quiz. You, know, you can go back and look at them. So I mean, I'm, the idea is to learn something else about the pictures. I can do any picture in that range which goes through today's. 
That's the first day of class through today. And then I'll do that. The next, the next quiz will take up on September 17th and go from there. And the and again, the quiz is online, so you've got you have access to anything you need to for it. But I say I'm not obviously being online. I'm not going to ask you which picture did they show on August 22nd. That's you know that's very easy to go look up. But I might ask you something about the picture, something I told you about the picture, something from the description. You know, it might be based on the description, but you might not be able to find the answers necessarily right there. You know. So I could ask you something about here. We're looking at the harvest moon today. I could ask you something about the harvest moon. So the uh, good thing about the iTunes U quizzes, I give you three of them over the semester, and one gets dropped. So if you do real good on the first two, if you get 12 out of 12 on the first two, don't even bother taking the last one because it's not worth your time. You're going to get you're going to get a 12 dropped or an 11. If you do worse on that one, you'll get the 11 dropped. So there's no reason to take the third one. And if you do real bad on one, or if you completely forget that it was there, and it's closed and you missed it, well then one gets dropped, so it doesn't, it's, not, it's going to affect you in the short term, but in the end, once you take the third one, that one will get dropped and it'll be fine. So That doesn't work with these quizzes. These quizzes all eight count. So it's only one of these that gets dropped. I don't drop, if you do real good on these three and do bad on one of those, I don't, don't switch between the two. It all goes into your quiz grade, but I only drop the, one of the iTunes ones. Okay. Questions? Ready to go? All right. Picture of the day for today. Hey, what is it? The moon. Anybody see the full moon? A couple days ago, anybody look? Too, too cloudy, too rainy? Anybody up early today and see the moon today? Nobody was up at 6 o'clock? Did you see it? Did you see the bright star next to it? Okay. If you look, and if you look tomorrow, you'll see the same thing. In fact, I'll show you it when we're do, get ready for our lab today. I'll show you how to look at the thing. But if you saw the moon, if you get up at like 6 o'clock tomorrow, I know everybody wants to be up at 6 o'clock on a Saturday. But if you're up at about 6 o'clock while it's still dark, you're going to see a, the moon there, and you're going to see a really, really bright star near it. It's not a star. It's actually Jupiter. So when you see the moon there, and you see this really, really bright star, not real close to it, not touching it or anything. It's going to be a little ways away on the sky. But the real, real bright object there is actually Jupiter. Question, yes, sir. At night, yeah. Right now, you'll see. Well, in the evening, Jupiter is really visible. Right now, it would be visible later at night, but it won't rise until. Yeah, about midnight, you'd be able to see it. Yeah, earlier than that, you probably would not be. It wouldn't rise until much earlier than that. Oops, here you go. But yeah, you it would be the same bright. So if you saw the bright star, then it wasn't a star. It was actually Jupiter. But this is showing the harvest moon which is the full moon closest to the autumnal equinox. And autumnal equinox is coming up here in a few days. It's the 16th, so we got about four or five days. I don't know exactly which day it is this year. 20th, 20th, usually around the 20th, 21st. It varies from year to year a little bit, depending on the exact timing. But it's whatever full moon occurred closest to that. And that was named because it was a nice full moon. Full moon rises when the sun sets, right? So the sun is setting, the full moon is rising. So all the farmers, as the sun went down and they're starting to go into darkness, had the full moonlight to come up and help them. They could actually illuminate their fields, you know, long before the days where you had tractors that had lights on them. And welcome to heck, I know, okay. <laughs> you know, long before they could put lights and things to shine at night, once it got dark and there was no moon out, you didn't see anything. 
So having the full moon out there, it's pretty bright. If you've ever been out with just a full moon, you know, away from everything, the full moon illuminates things nowhere near the sun, but it illuminates things pretty well. So that was what the harvest moon was, was all about. Sort of an interesting picture though, you caught, the, caught a bird flying over the moon there. And you have a, I know it was taken in Italy, I'm not sure what the, in Turin, Italy, Hilltop Basilica. So, over there, just sort of the framing of it, but what we're looking at there is the harvest moon. And it looks like, looks quite red, looks a little reddish, it's almost a little purplish now when it's projected on the screen and the light's on. But it actually looks red too. The har harvest moon doesn't specifically look any redder than any other moon. But any mo full moon that you're looking at that low in the sky is going to look red just because the light from the moon is passing through all that atmosphere. So when the light passes through all that atmosphere, the more atmosphere it has to pass through, the more the light, the more the light gets absorbed and the blue light gets absorbed the most and scattered the most. So blue light, has, we just talked about, had the highest energy. It gets absorbed the most, it gets scattered all over. So when you get a nice blue sunny day, nice blue sky, well there's all the blue light coming from all the sunsets. All the blue light's been scattered away from the sun, from the sunset elsewhere in the, on the earth where the sun is now setting and is giving us the blue light. And what's left, if you take out all the blue light of something, what do you have left? Red light. So you're going to see the red light coming through and everything's going to look red. So the moon looks red when it first rises if it's coming through a lot of atmosphere. The sun will look red when it rises or sets. It'll look redder than it normally does during the middle of the day. So that was the harvest moon. And again, that's the last picture, but you know, I could ask you something about the, might ask you something about why it looks red. I could ask you a question about what the harvest moon means. Those are the kind of things that I'll be looking for on this quiz. And this is the last picture you have to worry about for this one. So if you're set through from August, from the beginning of class through today, that's the end. That way I can make it up this weekend without having to add any other pictures in. But even if you wait till the end of that, if you take it on the 25th, I'm not adding new pictures to it or anything, you know, I'm cutting off the quiz through that through today. And then I will, the next one will start on the 17th and go on, and I think that's scheduled about a month, about a month from now. Alright, otherwise we get to start chapter 3 today, which is on your quiz. For 104, chapters 2 and 3, we just finished chapter 2. Chapter 3 we will start today and we should finish most of it, uh, we should finish most if not all of it on Monday. So, and then once we get through chapter 3, then we really get to jump. Because then our next unit is five chapters worth all at once. I'll, I'll tell you more about that next week, don't worry about it. Sounds a lot worse than it is. We're not actually covering all of it. Alright, from, we'll start right there. Yeah, 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 we don't need that. Okay. So chapter 3 is on telescopes. A telescope is the instrument astronomers use to study the sky. You know, very, very simply, it is either a mirror or a lens that is used to collect light. And it can mean different, any different kind of things. You see a couple different telescopes here in the first picture. This is a set of four telescopes that are used in Chile. And this is the VLT, Very Large Telescope. Astronomers like to get very inventive with their names and their acronyms. So we have the Very Large Telescope, the VLT uh, in radio astronomy. 
using radio telescopes. There's the VLA, the Very Large Array. So there's a lot of them are very simple. They're not always given, you know, funny inventive names. And then of course there's HST, Hubble Space Telescope, which is a telescope actually in orbit. It's been there for 20 years, 20 years now. And I actually I will get, I'll get the video for Monday because I thought I had it, but I didn't have it here. But I have a video of a news clip of the, for the launch, a preview of the night, night day before it was supposed to launch, where they'd actually come to one of my classes and filmed us for, you know, we have our five second clip on TV. So I'll find that. I have that somewhere. I'll find that and bring that for Monday to show you, which will be about the time I get to space telescopes. I might get, should get to those hopefully on Monday. But a telescope can be many different kinds of things. So when I start talking about telescopes, I'm going to be talking all about optical. So we're talking about what we see. Remember, we just split up the spectrum last chapter. What we see in visible light. So we're talking about telescopes that are used to see that. And that's what's shown here. But we'll come back at the end and we'll talk about, about radio telescopes, which can observe radio waves. There are telescopes that can reserve x-rays, gamma rays, infrared, ultraviolet. So we can observe the entire electromagnetic spectrum now and we learn so much more about the universe. Remember that electromagnetic spectrum, how big it was? It was gigantic and this little tiny section was visible light. Until about 75 years ago, that's all we could observe. It was that little tiny section. That's all we looked at. You know, from the from the history from Galileo first using a telescope on the sky till about 75 years ago or so, all we looked at was that little tiny bit of the spectrum. Now we can look at the whole thing. So there are some objects that don't emit visible light. So they were invisible for hundreds and hundreds of years. We didn't know about them. They didn't emit visible light. And now we can look at them in other wavelengths. We can look at things in radio and x-ray and we can see objects that we didn't know existed before. And we'll talk a little bit about that later in the course as we get to the, get to the further edges of the universe. So really what we're going to cover, and I said, we're going to talk about optical telescopes first. So everything I'm talking about refers specifically to optical telescopes. A lot of it applies to the others, but there are some different things in terms of trying to gather gamma rays, which are really, really high energy, or done a little bit differently. But for the most part, when I talk about an optical telescopes, the same basic idea works for optical, infrared, ultraviolet, radio. It's the same basic concept works for all of those. Slight changes. When you get to x-rays and gamma rays, they're really high energy and you can't, they just don't bounce off and focus you know, through a lens or a mirror the way the, other, the way the other wavelengths do. And we'll talk about sizes of telescopes and the resolution. So telescope size is important for the bigger telescopes gather more light. So why do astronomers keep wanting a bigger telescope and a bigger telescope is to be able to see deeper into space. And resolution Again, we'll go through this in more detail. Resolution says how close can you see, how much detail can you see in the object? You know, if you've got a high resolution, you're seeing a lot of fine detail in the object. You can separate really close stars that are really close together on the sky. You can get them separated apart and see them as two individual stars. When you look at low resolution, everything gets blurred together. Radio astronomy was the first of the other astronomies to be, first of the other types of telescopes to be invented usually in the 19, 1930s, late 1930s or so. They were really started radio telescopes and didn't really kick in until after World War II in the late 40s and 50s when it really started to get going. But that was the next 
They're opening a whole new window on the sky, looking at a whole new wavelength, looking at the sky completely differently than we see it with our eyes. When you look at the sky with a radio telescope, you don't see, you know, stars are invisible. Stars don't really emit many radio waves for the most part. So you don't, you don't see any stars, you see other objects. Some of them are visible with visible light, some of them are not. So there's some objects that we've seen in radio that have never been never seen before. And then we'll go on at the end and we'll talk about other astronomies. And that just means looking at how do we use x-rays and gamma rays and infrared and ultraviolet and all of that to look at the universe. So starting with the basics. And again, it's for optical telescopes, but really infrared, ultraviolet work pretty much the same way. This is an example. You can do it to conform your image two different ways when you're collecting light with a mirror or a lens. You can use reflection, which is what we're showing here is a mirror. And all these incoming rays from some very distant object come into this lens, which is perfectly shaped. Hopefully, you know, you've heard of the issues Hubble had when it was first launched, right? Where the shape was slightly off from where it was supposed to be. And not even much. It was a tiny bit off. But enough, if you don't have it the exact perfect shape, then things don't come to a point and they're blurry. So fortunately, it's something you can easily fix. And they were able to take a correcting lens up to Hubble that then allowed it to focus properly. So gave it a set of glasses, essentially, so it can see. Or a single glass, I guess, since it's only one. But that's what you need to do. You need to get this exactly shaped, so it's a curved shape to bend all the light, to bring the light into focus at one point here. Now, you see a problem there. If you want to look, use that telescope to see that image, what's the problem? Where are you going to put your head to look? If I want to see that focus, I'm going to put my head right here, right? So what am I doing? Am I blocking light rays coming in? So if I'm looking here to see what this object is, am I blocking half the light? Or more, depending on how I'm sitting in front of that? So for a real small telescope, you don't want to use a mirror. For a real big telescope, it doesn't matter much. And there's little things we can do to get around this. But no matter what you do in a mirror, you're going to lose some of the light because either you've got to put your head there to look at it, or you've got to put a camera there or something to take the picture for you. You have to put some kind of detector right in the middle of the light path. So even if I put a little camera here, I'm going to block a little bit of the light. So you can see that if you were doing that on a telescope that was you know, two or three inches across, you're not going to see too much. So when you look at the little tiny telescopes, you know, the kind that you can buy at the discount stores, they're all, they're all refracting telescopes. They all have a lens. It's not until you get something that's at least a few inches around that you get something that's a mirror like this. But all the big telescopes are mirrors. And we'll talk about some of the reasons for that in a little bit. But these are the two ways we can form. So this is reflection using a mirror. And the other is refraction, which is using a lens. So essentially, you have the lens, again, ground to the perfect shape, so that light coming up here is bent more. Light coming through the middle is unbent. And the light coming here is bent less. And it all comes to one focus. So the further you're going through, the thicker the lens, the more you can bend the light. 
So depending on exactly how you set up the lens, you can bend the light. Now you see the difference here. If I'm looking through this telescope, if I'm looking here, I'm a little bit too short, but if I were looking right through this one, I'm not blocking any of the light coming from the sky. So an advantage there, in a refracting telescope, you don't block. When you're looking at it, you don't need to block any of the light. You can get all of the light coming through. But a refracting telescope has other problems that we'll talk about as well. So there's trade-offs between the two. But the whole idea is just that you're sending it through a you're sending it through a little lens and bending the light, again, to a focus point. And you can put your detector, you can put your eye, could be your eye, as simple as your eye, putting that there to look at the object. Or you could be using a camera, some other kind of detector. You could put a spectroscope there, right, we did from lab. You could put a spectroscope there, split the light up from the object and look at it that way. So there's a number of different things that you can put there. Now this just shows how the image gets put together if you're looking at something big. Because I showed you one focus there, but what if you're looking at something that was like for a star? What if we're looking at something closer like a comet or something that's bigger on the sky like a galaxy? Well you have light coming from slightly different portions on the sky and you'll actually reform the image here. So you'd need something big enough to take that image. Again, this is greatly exaggerated. You wouldn't normally be taking an image of something that big. I mean, there aren't that many things that are that big in astronomy. But it gets spread out. So here's the image of the bottom. You notice how it gets flipped? If you ever look through a telescope and you look at the moon and then you go look at the moon, something looks wrong, it's been flipped. So the astronomical telescopes invert the, automatically invert the object. It doesn't matter when you take a picture because if you want another way around, you can just turn it around. But it does automatically do that. And you see what's happening here. If you follow the purple rays, the purple rays are brought to a focus at the top. So the image of the bottom that came from here is now focused at the top and the image of the top is now focused at the bottom and center is still the center. Center doesn't change. But it is something that confuses. Sometimes when you look through a telescope the first time and you're seeing they're looking at something like the moon where you can easily look up and see it. You know, if you're looking at the telescope at Jupiter, well you can't see the detail. All you see is a point so it doesn't look any different. But when you look at something like the moon, it doesn't quite, you, you notice that, it doesn't quite look right. It's upside down. Or if you happen to be using a telescope to look at something on Earth, you know, point at something on Earth, it's upside down. But that's how the images form. And again, that's a reflecting telescope here. Now here's the, how the light travels on each one. So here's how we get around that issue. I said you don't want to put your head right here in the middle of the telescope because you're blocking all the light. Well, when we use a mirror, one of the ways that we do it is the light comes down to the mirror and comes back out and we get a little tiny mirror in there, very small mirror, that reflects the light out to an eyepiece. So now you can actually look through the telescope. Is a little bit of the light still being blocked? Yeah. You're blocking a little bit of the light that would be coming in. Anything that would have hit the very middle of this mirror, you're not going to see. But that's a, this, as this telescope gets bigger, that's a very small percentage of the actual light that was coming into it. And the bigger the telescope gets, the less important that, that is. In fact, there are some big telescopes that, well, let's see, the 200-inch, the Mount Palomar telescope, actually has a cage up here where an observer can ride, used to be able to ride. So you could actually have an observer sitting in the telescope, traveling with the telescope, Blocking, yes, a little bit of the light, 
But if you're talking about a four or five meter telescope and you're only blocking the central one meter, or half meter, or whatever it is, you're not blocking a big percentage. If you figure out the area you're blocking, you're blocking a very small portion of it. But there are some where the astronomer could actually ride there and do their observations. Everything nowadays is pretty much computerized, so you don't have to. You know, you see the pictures of astronomers sitting there staring through the telescope. No, they don't do that. You know, everything is there. It's a, they've got their detectors, and you know, they're sitting in a control room you know, way off away. In fact, some of them are now controlled remotely. So you might have an engineer on site and you might have the astronomer working at his office observing. Which is nice because then if you time it right, you don't have to be up in the middle of the night. If you're at the right location using a telescope in the right part of the world, you know, you can be, can be nighttime over there and you can be doing your observations during the middle of the day here. So. Now on the refracting telescope, you have a lens. The light comes through the lens and is focused through the eye, through the piece, through the tube, and then comes to a focus through another, through an eyepiece here. So you have an eyepiece here or an eyepiece there. And again, here you don't block any of that. You don't block any starlight. So there's no head, there's no mirror, there's no nothing in front of it. All the light from the star comes straight through. And those are the two types of telescopes that work for optical, that work for optical observations. Now, most modern telescopes are all reflectors. Why is this the case? Well, remember we talked about prisms last time, right? We talked a little bit about prisms when we talked about spectra and how we split up the light. When you put the light beam through that prism, what did it do? Split it up to the rainbow, right? So you got everything from red through violet. So what is, what is your lens except for a little prism on the top and a prism on the bottom? It's like two prisms put together. So when you put light through a refracting telescope, the blue light gets bent a little bit more and the red light gets bent a little bit less. So do they come to the same focus? So if we send it through it, we send it through there, you might send, you know, here you've got red and blue light coming in together, but your blue light might be bent here and your red light might be bent a little less. And if you have the same thing down here, your blue light bent more, your red light bent less. Well, if I look right here, I get a nice sharp blue image. Very sharp blue image that I can see. But I get this big red halo around it because all the red light's out of focus. And if I choose to look back here, then I get a nice sharp red image. But now what's happened to the blue light? Well, it's come out of focus, so it's all blurred. So one of the problems with refracting telescope is what we call chromatic aberration. And that is just the bending of lights. The aberration is the distortion. Chromatic is distortion of color. So you're distorting the color of the object. And if you've ever looked through a little, especially a cheapy little one that you buy at the discount stores, you get a little cheap one and you look there, you'll get a halo around it, either usually a reddish or bluish or something, depending if you're looking at a bright object, you will get some kind of halo around it because this is something we can't get rid of. There are ways to minimize it by putting different lenses together and try to get a couple of them to work together, but there's always going to be something that's a little bit blurred because you've got to remember, not only do we have red and blue, those are the two extremes, we got red, orange, and yellow, and green, and violet in, in between these. 
So there's a focus for orange light, and you know, each wavelength will have its own focus in there. So you can get some of it to balance right, but you never get all of it. So that's a big problem. Chromatic aberration is a big one. And that's this first point up here. The second one is that some of the light traveling through the lens is absorbed. So when you bounce light off a mirror, you don't get any absorption. It just all bounces out and goes right to your focus. When you travel through a lens, you're traveling through a solid, and some of that light gets absorbed by the material, by the glass. Some of the light gets absorbed and then can be re-emitted. You know, we talked about absorption and re-emission. Well, it can be absorbed. It can be absorbed completely and heat up the glass a little bit. If you're looking at something very bright, if you look at the sun. You know, it can heat that up quite a bit. But some of the materials getting some of that light is getting absorbed. So as you make these thicker and thicker, you're getting a little bit less light coming through. Now, it's not a big deal if you're looking at something bright, if you're looking at the sun, if you're looking at the moon, it really doesn't matter much. But when you look at, astronomers are looking, always looking for the faintest objects that don't give us very much light. So if you're observing, absorbing a big chunk of, these, of the light, or even, a, even 10% of it, you know, you're limiting how faint you can see. So that's the second reason that all the modern telescopes are reflect. Or ref- Reflectors. Let's get it proper. There we go. Secondly, or third, a large lens can be very heavy. Because you get that lens bigger and bigger. The largest refracting telescope is about 40 inches across. That's a pretty big, that's a pretty big lens. It's not a real thin lens. You can't make a real thin lens either. It's got to be, it gets thicker and thicker the, to get the right shape. It ends up being a very thick. And you've got the problem that we came back to is that how are you going to hold that lens up in the telescope? Well, you can't put something behind it to hold it up, right? You're defeating the purpose. You're blocking all the light coming from the... You know, you're getting back to the same problem you had with a reflecting telescope. You're blocking the light. So you can only support that lens along the edges. And that tends to... It tends to want to sag and distort itself. So when you point it up high, then that telescope wants to, the lens itself wants to sag and it distorts. You had a nice perfect shape. Not that I can draw a perfect shape, but you know. You had a nice perfect shape there and you lost it. Because as you move the telescope around, the shape of the lens is going to change a little bit. You don't get that with the mirror because I can, I can grab that mirror from behind. I don't, need, I don't care what's on the bottom of the mirror. And I can hold it. I can put a whole big structure behind it to hold it in place. I can't do that with the lens. So again, 40, 40 inches is as big as we've made. Now, could we make a bigger one now? Probably. You know, our technology has improved. That last one was finished in 1897, if I recall correctly. So we, could we make a you know, 50, 60 inch reflecting, refracting telescope? Now we probably could. But we're still talking so much smaller than the 10 meter, 12 meter telescopes that we're building optic, that we're building reflecting telescopes now, that it really doesn't improve anything. So our technology has gone enough, but I don't think we could make, you know, a 20 meter refracting telescope. Finally, a lens needs to be perfect on both edges. So you've got to polish this side perfectly when the light comes in, and you've got to polish the other side perfectly where the light comes out. In a mirror, you know, all you had to worry about was one surface. All you have to worry about is this surface being big. If this surface is all messed up, it don't matter. It's not going to affect anything. So I said, I can hold this up here. 
I'm not blocking any of the light. I'm not causing any problems. If this is all ragged and jagged, it doesn't matter. You know. How about inside, which isn't even mentioned here? If I what if I get a big you know air bubble in here or something? Does it matter? It does over here though? If you don't get that lens perfect and you get a bunch of air bubbles in it, that's going to cause all sorts of problems with your telescope and you're starting over again. You have to regrind a lens. And when you're getting those big lenses, they're not cheap to be able to create. So you need one surface there perfect. Here you need two surfaces, plus the interior's got to be in pretty good shape too. So that's one of the reasons I say everything. If you look at any telescope, you look at pictures of any of the large telescopes built in more than 100 years now, they're all reflecting telescopes. Now there's a couple different ways we talked about getting the, having to get to the light. So we're going to go to reflecting telescopes pretty much in detail now. We've got to get to that. When we use a reflecting telescope, I just gave you the reasons why we want to use them. We've got to get to the light when it wants to focus it right here in the middle of the light that was coming in. So it wants to make our image right where all the light is coming in and we don't want to block everything. So a couple different ways we can do this. First one involves what we call the prime focus. Prime focus is just where, it, where that telescope wants to focus the light instinctively. That's where all of it wants to go. It's going to take, if you don't do anything else, all the light that's coming in is going to come right back to this focus. So ideally, that's where you want to put your detector. And you can do that. There are telescopes that will put a detector. Radio telescopes are real big on this. Radio telescopes are gigantic. If you've ever seen one, a small radio telescope might be 26 meters across, 85 feet across. So I mean, that's small, that's a tiny radio telescope. Big ones can be, well the biggest one in Arecibo is 300 meters across. So 300 meters, three football fields can go across that length. So that's a pretty big telescope. But they all use a prime focus. They're so giant that putting a little detector up there doesn't affect anything. So you can still detect all the light just fine. For the optical telescopes, and I said you also have the K, you could put a cage up there. You could put a cage even in a regular optical telescope where an astronomer could ride. Now the other types that we use all involve using a mirror. So it uses a second mirror in here that brings the light to someplace else to be able to focus it. Now one way it does this is the Newtonian focus brings it out to the side. So a Newtonian focus uses an angled mirror and the light that's coming up towards the prime focus there gets, gets caught here and sent out to the side and you can put a little observation right there. That's nice. That works really well for smaller telescopes. If you're going to look at it, you're just putting an eyepiece there. It's not too bad. You don't want to put any really heavy equipment there because you're going to throw off the balance of the telescope. So a lot of the professional telescopes don't use that kind of, kind of thing because they're putting something heavier than an eyepiece or a small camera there you know, to record their images. But you'll see a lot of little telescopes, you know, smaller telescopes that you can buy through Sky and Telescope, Astronomy Magazine, have an eyepiece off to the side like this. And that's what we call a Newtonian focus. And that's an angled, angled mirror inside. Now another one that's used is the Cassegrain focus. Same mirror except you don't angle it. You send the light right back down where it came from. So it came in from the sky, bounced off the mirror, bounces off this mirror and goes right back through the center. You drill a little hole in the mirror to get the light out. 
doesn't affect anything, right? What light was getting to that mirror anyway? If we have to put a secondary mirror up here, in any case, is there any light getting down here in this telescope? No. It's all being blocked by that little secondary mirror. So this, list, this part of the telescope was useless anyway. It wasn't collecting any light. You can drill a small hole there. Again, that's why you don't want to do it on a you know, two-inch reflecting telescope. It doesn't do you much good. Because you're going to have to drill a hole in it and take out a big chunk of its light. But if you're talking about a telescope that's four or five inches across even, you can drill a small hole in it and not even, you know, drill a one-inch hole. It's going to take a really a lot of that surface out. And that's a common one that's used. And it's a little bit better because your equipment is down here at the base of the telescope where it's already heavy. So you don't, you're not throwing your telescope off balance as much. So you can put heavier equipment here. But a lot of the equipment that astronomers use is not just, is gigant, can be gigantic. And in some cases, we use this other one, which is the Coudet focus, where the tel- the, your detector isn't even attached to the telescope. So it looks kind of like a combination of these two, because you start off, there's your prime focus. So you don't go there. You block it off here with a flat mirror, sending it straight back down. And then you send it off here. But instead of the detector being there, it goes off into the room to be detected. So it actually goes out. So your detector, which could be you know, the size of a room, and some of the equipment it can be that big, or at least used to be, then you're just sending your light to that to be observed. And you have, it, have everything set up in computer controlled so that that always goes right there. So there's four different ways you can do the observations. These are often what is used more professionally, these two. The Newtonian and the prime focus. Prime focus, again, good for radio astronomy, but not so much for the, not as much for the optical anymore. But those are three those are different ways to actually get to the light. You've got to be able to observe it. Because bringing it to a nice, beautiful focus here is wonderful. But if nobody can see it and you can't put a camera or a detector there, it doesn't do you any good. You might be getting a beautiful image, but nobody's ever going to know it. You've got to put something there to be able to see it. So there's got to be some way to get that light out of the tube of the telescope. And that's a difference with the refracting telescope we looked at. The refracting telescope, again, was straight through. One thing that helps with the reflecting telescopes, when you bounce the light around inside so much, it makes the telescope much smaller. You're bouncing the light inside. So the light still has to travel this whole distance to focus. You know, you had to travel here. Well, if I wanted to use a reflecting or refra- refracting telescope this big, it goes down here. It's got to go down again that same length of that telescope to bring it to the focus. So it's got to go. It's going to be much bigger. And if you look at some of these refracting telescopes, you'll see that they're gigantic in length. Their tube lengths get to be really big. And when you bounce the light around inside the telescope, you get the advantage of being able to compact the telescope down. For example, if you're looking at like a, say a six-inch telescope, something you know that an amateur would use, that you could buy relatively easily without spending you know, thousands of dollars, a Newtonian one would have a tube about, well, about that long, so I'd say about a six to eight-inch telescope. This one, where you bounce the light again an extra time, would be you know, less than half the width, the size the actual tube of the telescope. They're actually very small. Everything's compact because you're bouncing that light around inside it. And that makes a big difference, again, for a refracting telescope. To do a refracting six-inch telescope, then you're talking, I can't get my arms apart far enough. 
we had a 10 inch telescope we used to use that was refracting and it would stretch, you know, a good, you know, probably from the wall to about here or so, you know, a good chunk of the room. That was just a 10, that was just a 10 inch telescope, you know, nothing gigantic, but the tube was. So you can imagine what that tube would be doing if you're trying to do something that's four times bigger and four times longer. It'd be very hard to structurally keep that in place. Now here's an example of a larger telescope that the way we're building telescopes now. And again, you see the different mirrors, you see the different path, light path here, but you notice the honeycomb shape of the honeycomb shape of the mirror. It's actually not one mirror, it's a whole bunch of mirrors. You can put a whole bunch of mirrors together and this is more the advantage of the computer control, that we can control each of those mirrors simultaneously and independently to keep them in the proper shape. That's good when you're getting a mirror that big. Remember I told you that the lens is going to sag a little bit when you're trying to move it? Well, when you get a mirror that's that big, you know, it gets hard to get a support behind it that's strong enough to hold it. Gravity is pretty strong. So it tries to distort, but if you've got computer control that can say, okay, we need to move this mirror up a little bit, this move up a quarter of a, you know, half a millimeter, this one a millimeter this way, you can control each of these mirrors, so there's about 36 of them in this telescope, and you can control each of them independently. So you can keep that mirror in its perfect shape no matter where you're pointing it in the sky. And there's an idea to give you the scale of the size. That's about the chunk that's locked out in the middle. There is no middle one in there. So this whole middle is empty. And you can see, if you can see that there, the pers- that orange is a person. To give you an idea of the scale of those, of the telescope. So it's quite a lot, I think he's kneeling down, so it's not quite as that tall, but to give you an idea of the scale of the telescope. But you can see you're missing this, you're cutting out this whole big area, but with your apparatus no light was going to get there anyway. And you can see how that's only a small section of this entire telescope. And in fact there's not just one, but there's two of them that are used. There's two built side by side that can be used together or independently. Now when you look at the image over here, you see the light coming in and you see all the different you see some of the different focuses I talked about. You can come back and there's the Cassegrain focus where it comes straight back down. So the light comes down and up and back down. So depending on the exactly setup, you can have the Cassegrain focus or you can bounce it out into here and then down to what they call the Coudet room for instrumentation. So if you have big heavy instrumentation that you're using to observe that you couldn't just attach to the telescope, you know, like a camera you could very easily Then it sends it off to another room, it sends that light off to that room to be analyzed. Prime focus would be right up here, which isn't used here, and you'll see that there isn't a Newtonian focus. You'll also see that the professional telescopes look a little bit different than the ones you see in the magazines, right? The ones in the magazines are all solid, tube. This thing's wide open. Well, first of all, it makes it lighter and easier to control. And at a telescope site, it's kept dark and it's kept enclosed, you know, the door's shut during the day, the door's shut during a storm, and it keeps it very easy to be able to, you know, keep it. You don't need all that extra structure around it that you need, that if you're going to put a telescope out here, if we want to put a telescope out in the yard here and look at it, look at something, if I put a telescope like this, well, we're going to get all sorts of light coming from this light and this classroom and that light, and it's going to come and it's going to, we're not going to see anything. So the reason for that tube is to block out all that extraneous light. 
So I don't get the light coming from the street light or someone who left their office light on all night or something, you know. We don't get all that extraneous light coming in. And we can actually see the we can actually see the object. In an astronomical observatory, well, first of all, they're put on top of mountains in the deserts. You know, big ones are on top of uh, Kitt Peak in Arizona. So it's out in the middle of nowhere, you know, very far away, out in Hawaii on the mountains, out down in Chile, Australia. I mean, they're not put, you no longer put a telescope in a big city. You know, it used to be a hundred years ago that the telescopes were put where the people were, where the astronomers were. Now the astronomers go to the telescopes. You know, the, the last big refracting telescope that I told you about was put in Chicago. It's in Chicago. So it's actually in the city of Chicago. Do you imagine how much it sees right now? You know, if you're right, even if you're right outside of Chicago, are you going to see much? No. We'd have enough trouble here, right? And Chicago is how many times bigger than Harrisburg? So now the astronomers put the telescopes where they'll do the most good. And in fact, a lot of telescopes got moved from up north. There were telescopes from the Cleveland area that got moved down to Kitt Peak and they put a whole telescope down there because they'd get more observing time down in Arizona, even if they had to share it with somebody else, than they did looking at weather in this part of the country. So a lot of those telescopes just got moved. You know, pack them up, move them down there, and if you only get to observe where it's clear, you know, 300 out of 365 days instead of when it's clear 60 out of 365 days, maybe not that bad. But you get the point. There's a lot of days here. You know, if you had a telescope here in Harrisburg, how much observing did we do last week? Not a lot. All right, where are we? Almost set. Okay. Let's look at the last one. Is the image acquisition, and you should be. You're probably familiar with this charge coupled devices. Same thing they use, like in a camera, nowadays. That's the that's the same kind of thing that's used in the camera. It's all these little tiny. It's a bunch of whole little bunch of tiny detectors. So essentially you look here and each of these is gathering the light that's focused to that part of this chip. And that's what is, what is used now. And you get something like this. So you get something that says, you know, you got, you got seven detections here and six and five and you can map that then out into a, and then that digitally gets mapped into an image. It's the same kind of thing that works in a digital camera. The other thing that astronomers use and have used were, was, was actual old style photographic, what they called photographic plates, which would be probably the equivalent of the stuff that was used for cameras a hundred years ago when they used solid glass plates. The astronomers would use solid glass plates with a photographic emulsion on it. So it's like a film, but instead of being you know, nice and easy to bend and twist, it was on a piece of glass. So it was a little more permanent. Now, unless you drop it, that would not be good. You know, imagine doing all your observations, having your stack of plates, and slipping. You've got to start over again. Whereas now, here, everything's digitally saved, you know, so it's much nicer. But they use those for the longest time, and not, not even until that, even that recently. I mean, astronomers started using the CCDs, you know, in the, remember, 70s, 80s? They really started using them. I mean, they picked up a little earlier than like digital cameras came in. But they had, they, until they could get them big enough, they still had to use photographic plates if you wanted to get a large area of the sky. Because that CCD would only get a small part of the sky at the time. And you also had problems with, at the time, with reading them out. That when you're trying to read this, 
you can't just read each one in individually. They were read in rows. So you read in rows and each thing had to count as they came out and you counted your thing. And you'd lose a little bit as it came down each time. So you'd get a little more noise. If you were reading out from here, if you were trying to read the numbers and they were just slowly coming this way and line by line down, by the time you got to that upper one, you'd have lost a lot of information. So one of the problems with the early CCDs, and they've improved a lot, because we can now do, you know, how many megapixels, you know, can you do in a millions of pixels in the whole image. But astronomers want the finest ones. They want to be able to see the most detail. And they want the least lost when they read them out. So you don't, lose, don't really lose anything on a photographic plate. But you can't play with it on the computer. You can't adjust it. You can't work with it. You can't, you can, you know, drop it, break it. You know, and if it's broken, it's gone. What can you do? You can't put it back together. If you've got your data saved, you're good. So I'm going to stop there for telescopes. We'll come back and pick up. What are we starting on next? Yeah, looking at image processing. Okay, we can end there. I'll do that next time. And I'll let you take your break, and then we'll come back, and I've got a lab for you to work on. So let's stop.